Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of November 10th, 2022, including Sonic Frontiers is finally out, Netflix announces a Gears of War movie, Project Cars has been retired, and more. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2015, I'm sorry we keep using that year, but hey, lots of big games were coming out. In the year 2015, Rise of the Tomb Raider released on the Xbox One. I still stand by that that was the best of the trilogy the of uh, Tomb Raider kind of reboot, modernized Tomb Raider games. That one, that one was particularly just right on the money. Really good game. Also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, technically the day this is releasing, this is not the case, but the damn recording on Wednesday the 9th, this is the 18-year anniversary of Halo 2, released November 9, 2004. Happy birthday, Halo 2, one of the greats of all time. Guys, welcome to week 180 of the Xbox On podcast, and if that music didn't get you pumped up, then you are. Congratulations. Pat yourself on the back. You are officially a subhuman. That is a, uh, a, t- a track called Beyond the Speed Of from the mobile game Sonic Runners, which was a short-lived game that came out, actually, ironically, I think also in 2015. Maybe it was 2014, actually. Uh, it was only on mobile for like eight months, and it was one of the rare, rare, rare examples of a mobile game that didn't suck ass, and then Sega took it offline like after like eight or ten months because, I, I don't know, I guess because it didn't have enough ads in there or something, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Phenomenal music, as always. Sonic composer Tomoyo Otani, Sonic composer for a long-ass time now. Phenomenal composer, makes some of the all-time great music in all video games. And uh, this game was no exception. And guys, the reason why we're using Sonic music instead of Halo music this week, while we do have some big Halo news, is because it is the official release week of Sonic Frontiers. Motherfucker, we finally made it. It only took us 11 months to get here, but we are finally at the most important game, without a doubt, for the year 2022. All you motherfuckers sitting around with your thumbs up your asses talking about Eldon Ring and fucking Gotham's and Modernware and Saving the World as a Nobody and all the games you've been talking about and all the games all the time, God of War over on PlayStation. Fuck you. It's Sonic Frontiers. It always has been. It always will be. And now I can confidently and firmly say I was right. Sonic Frontiers is the greatest game ever made. Fuck you. And uh, we'll get into that later on when we get to the, what I've been playing. But yeah, it, all joking aside, as if you couldn't tell, I'm pretty fucking um, pumped about Sonic Frontiers. It's finally... I was having such a great time with Modern Warfare 2 these past couple of weeks, and, and now I just don't give a shit about that game's existence. That's how excited I am to finally have Sonic Frontiers. But like I said, we will get into that later on the show. Oh, yeah, I, I guess some celebration around Sonic before we move on. Jay Comatose writes in, a little celebratory couple comments here. Find someone that loves you as much as Jesse loves Sonic. Well, I guess it's not really so much celebrating the the, uh, the release of the game as, as much as it is just pointing out how much I weirdly love a blue fictional hedgehog. Mr. Malg writes in and says, I hope you're enjoying Sonic Frontiers, Jesse. I'm craving pizza, Domino's pizza. 
Well, Mr. Mag, I hope you got that Domino's pizza just like I hope I got all seven Chaos Emeralds assigned to Hedgehog so I could free the uh, Starf- uh, Starfall Islands from whatever the hell's going on in the game because I'm not quite far enough in it yet to know. But, guys, let's start out this week, as we do every week, with a couple of corrections, comments, and stories of mild amusement, things like that. However, this week we don't have any corrections, but I do have two kind of unusual things I... I I guess I normally don't get to talk about that I would like to throw out there um, before we get into the stories of mild amusement, which we do have a couple of really good ones. Guys, I was uh, invited this week to be on the RDX podcast, Real Deal Xbox podcast hosted by Dealer Gaming. Uh, really nice uh, opportunity. I, I, what am I trying to say? It was a really great opportunity to be invited onto the show. I, I'm really thankful um, to Dealer Gaming and in Fonz Gaming and in the, in the guys over there that invited me to be on the show. Um, everyone was super welcoming and super kind, and and it was a really fun time. I, I actually got to do that yesterday, Tuesday night. So if you go over to Dealer Gaming's YouTube channel, you can find the podcast, the latest episode of RDX or Real Deal Xbox podcast. Um, you can see that I was uh, I, I got to, I got the opportunity to be on that. It's not every day I get to talk to other people about Xbox, so it was kind of a little it was a little weird to have like a, a multi way conversation with people and and have people be able to like I don't know talk to me in real time about my takes on Xbox and and I'm like oh shit I, I don't just get to say whatever without repercussion because other people are here and they have opinions too and it was a good time. I, I again thanks uh, thanks to the team for inviting me on. It was it was a lot of fun and. Um, yeah, I, I look forward to continuing to grow in this space and meet other X-Bots who like to talk about video games. Maybe one day we can have someone on our show and, uh, you know, well, we've had people on our show before, but, you know, what I mean, maybe we can, I don't know, I, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is the Xbox community, from what I've always observed from a distance, seems to be pretty, weirdly a pretty nice and welcoming community. And I say weirdly because gaming is just generally painted as such a, toxic fandom and and um kind of community that it's it, one thing i've always found odd especially on twitter where twitter is just the worst place on, of all time is that oddly enough the xbox specific niche you know that that part of the sphere seems to generally be pretty positive and kind and welcoming now don't get me wrong there are those like stupid like xbot like console war fanboys you know they're going to exist everywhere you go you can't really ever fully escape them but for the most part i've always been a little bit taken or I'm not taken back, but surprised by just how nice and kind of how friendly everyone is with one another. It's it's not what I'd expect. Listen, I come from the Disney fan community where people will fucking call for your head on a platter if you if you don't like like the latest churro that they've introduced to like the the fucking donut cart at Magic Kingdom Park. Like it's that serious over there in the Disney community. So I'm just not used to this much kindness. So anyway, so again, shout out to to the the guys over at uh, at RDX podcast, uh, really great opportunity to be on the show. I really appreciate it. I had a good time, and uh, if you want to check that out, you can go onto YouTube and and take a look. I'll actually probably just link it into the description. So if you're uh, listening to this podcast on YouTube or you know whatever podcast services, there should be a uh, a link in the description for the show notes. So there you go, guys. Let's move on. I'm just stumbling over my words, saying nothing. But there's one other thing I wanted to say. I guess I'm. I guess I'm kind of becoming famous here because I, I received an email this week, and um, I want to get your guys' take on it. I, I don't know how should I proceed. How should I respond to this email? Um, I got an email from Wisdom Talent Team. 
they reached out to me about Xbox on. I guess I guess these are probably talent scouts trying to find the next big Joe Rogan type podcaster. And, uh, you know, they reached out to me. And I, I just want to read you some of this email, guys. What do you, I need your advice. What do you think I should do? How should I proceed? How should I respond to this opportunity of a lifetime? The email reads, uh, we want the voice behind Xbox on on wisdom. I'd like to offer you a top badge, our highest badge, if you join us. Wisdom is the place to meet, share, and learn from fellow podcasters. We are venture-backed and growing fast. The top badge is Wisdom's version of Twitter's blue checkmark. You'll grow your audience, meet amazing uh, potential guests, and learn from other talented podcasts. podcasters. Can I please send you a sign-up link uh, that you will also get the top badge from? Uh, P.S. By joining Wisdom as a top badge, you will also get 500 Wisdom coin. Oh, this is the interesting point. By joining, you'll get 500 Wisdom coin, our currency, our creator currency. Just let me know, and I'll send you the short sign-up link. So, guys, what do I do? I mean, I, at first, I'm like, I don't really know. I'm not too social person. I do. I have a lot of social anxiety. I don't want to really be meeting too many new podcasters. It just sounds like a lot for me to get out of my bubble and, and do that. But they really enticed me in the PS here where they said, if I join... I'll get 500 wisdom coin. You know, I feel like that would go really nice along with my stupid fucking dying monkey NFT and my, um, my doge coin, my Ethereum, you know, not to mention they said they would offer me top badge, which is their highest badge. That would be, you know, for those unaware, that would be equivalent of getting a, a blue check mark on Twitter. So, Man, what do you guys think? Uh, how should I respond to this email? I just feel like it's it's going too fast. You know, is this is this what Kurt Cobain feel, felt like when when he was thrust into stardom? I mean, goddamn, <laughs> it's just it's crazy, man. But um, so that's an email I got this week, and uh, I guess we'll we'll table that for now. In the meantime, let's let's move on to our actual stories of mild amusement. Let's actually talk about some Xbox this week. You guys, uh, Halo Infinite has some big news this week. Finally. The big winter update is here, and most importantly, finally, 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 Forge Mode in Halo Infinite. Uh, the update introduces co-op campaign, of course, via online, because Couch Co-op got canned. The Forge open beta, the ability to do mission replay in campaign. Um, all these have been severely delayed again and again and again, so finally, this, this update is out. All these features are in the game. And 343 announced it with the following quote, The winter update marks a major step forward for our game and for our studio. But this is just the first step in our evolution. The team is actively working on key player experience priorities across the game to address areas of feedback, and we are targeting another game update by the end of the year. Your support is greatly appreciated, and we can't wait to turn the corner with all of you in 2023 as we look to, sh uh, to shorten seasons and add a more regular stream of content and bigger things to come. And, of course, they're talking about Tatanka, which we'll get into later in the news. Um, yeah, they also added some new maps. They tweaked some guns and some balancing features. Apparently, the plasma pistol isn't so shitty anymore. Um, so lots of things they added here and there. So it's a, it's, it's a very big update. I haven't had a chance to jump in just yet just because I've been busy with uh, Sonic, just to be quite honest. But this is definitely something I'm going to jump into this weekend. I cannot wait to give Forge a try. I just think it's really, really unfortunate that, you know, of all the time that they've had to uh, to give Halo the spotlight, uh, you know, man, if they could have had this ready over the summer when literally nothing was coming out, if they could have had this happen at the end of summer slash early fall when basically nothing was happening, 
This would have been such a good boon to Halo Infinite. But unfortunately, they had to finally put Forge into the game uh, right when Modern Warfare 2 came out and was a huge success. Um, and, you know, we're just we're just you know, all completely distracted. Warzone 2 is about to be here. So it's all not great in terms of timing, but better late than never, never I suppose. I just feel bad for Halo Infinite because that game at its core is so good. And I just, I really wonder what kind of audience they'll ever be able to recapture now that they fucked up the first year of that game's life cycle so badly with its uh, lack of content. But nonetheless, hearing nothing but amazing things about Forge, I can't wait to jump into it again, see what all the, all, all the crazy dick maps people are making and all, all the ways we can explore Andy's bedroom from Toy Story, but as a Spartan. So really exciting stuff. Congrats to 343 for finally getting some of this stuff across the finish line. And yeah, me too. I hope I, I am also looking forward to a better year for Halo in 2023. So that's the first thing. Second thing here is that and this is from VGC PS5 console exclusive Ghostwire Tokyo has been listed for Xbox on Bethesda's office wall as spotted um, by I never know how to say this. I only see it on Twitter. I never say it out loud as spotted by Twitter user user Clobrine, Clobrile, 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 an article showcasing London's Bethesda London's office on the website of workplace design company area, which is now no longer on the site, showed an image of a large wall mural featuring Bethesda's games, including Ghostwire Tokyo. However, interestingly enough, the Ghostwire Tokyo art pieces listed the game as Xbox Series S, X, PC, PS5. No Xbox version of the game has been officially announced today, but we can all safely assume that it will be coming likely in March once the year hits its once the game hits its one year anniversary, because Ghostwire Tokyo was part of a deal made between Sony's PlayStation uh, division and Bethesda back before Microsoft had acquired Bethesda, which would see uh, Ghostwire Tokyo as well as Deathloop be PlayStation exclusives at launch. Now, that all changed a little bit when Xbox bought Bethesda, which is why we saw these games come to Xbox just as soon as they can, or at least was the case with Deathloop. We saw it come to Xbox just as soon as it could in September once the game became a year old. And so now we're likely going to see the same thing happen this upcoming March when Ghostwire Tokyo hits its one-year anniversary, which I'm really looking forward to because this is a game I particularly really wanted to play. So, uh, yeah, that looks great. Now, next up, Let's, uh, we got a couple quotes. We got one from Matt Booty, and then after that, we got a Phil Spencer one. So let's run through these quotes real quick. Not too, too much to talk about, but interesting enough to talk about for sure. That's why we put it in this top segment. From IGN, Xbox is still working on rebooting Perfect Dark and has acknowledged uh, their stumble with Halo along the way. In an interview with Friends Per Second Podcast, head of Xbox Game Studios Matt Booty touched on some long-absent reboots, explained timelines, partnerships, obstacles, and when he was asked about Perfect Dark and the leadership changes, the Xbox boss explained the partnership with Crystal Dynamics. Booty referred to the developer, the initiative, and Crystal Dynamics' efforts on Perfect Dark as a, quote, co-development, and made it very clear that they're equal partners in the game's development. Development. This is to say Crystal Dynamics isn't on board just for the outsourcing of assets or other pieces of the project. Quote, it hasn't been so much leadership changes. It has been building a studio, Booty said. I think one of the most difficult things the last few years has been finalizing a big game on the scale of Halo or Battlefield during the conditions that we had. Those conditions, Booty reference, are changes to studio work due to COVID-19. And Xbox had noted that they had had several methods work around uh, to attract talent since it began, but also stating that the tight co-development is something that they'll have to do more of in the future, and we will see more of in the future. Not only that, but Polygon also highlighted that Booty's openness regarding Halo Infinite and its stumbles and, and the game stumbles at the launch through its update 
uh, through the update cycle. He compared Halo Infinite struggles to classic runners making the mistake of tripping or stumbling as you cross the finish line, also mainly due to the Black Plague of 2019. Booty acknowledged the challenges around the remote work conditions, hybrid work, figuring out how to adapt, and the team sizes during the pandemic, calling it the worst-case conditions trying to get games done. He praised the teams for getting it done in shipping games regardless, and shipping Halo in particular, acknowledging that some of those struggles became more apparent in Halo Infinite's life uh, long-term content plan, where Booty says Xbox fell short. So, alright, this is two very unrelated quotes from the same guy about two different games, so let's try to break these up and go through them real quick. First of all, on the, um, honestly, maybe this could have been in the main news segment, but on Perfect Dark, it's kind of crazy, man, because you, we... <laughs> I don't want to say we, I assumed that Crystal Dynamics' involvement really meant a lot of like, okay, so the initiative is the core team, they're kind of directing, leading the project, this is their vision, but they need people to build art assets, they need people to play test, they need people to do level design, to carry out kind of the the building of the game, the grunt work, so to speak. Not, And I don't want to say grunt work because building a game is not grunt work by any means, but you know what I mean? It's like you have the visionaries and the directors and the artists and the, the guys creating what the game is going to be, the outline, the vision. And then the Crystal Dynamics guys are going to be your programmers, your testers, your artists, your develop all, all the people who are going to put the ideas and the, and the sketches and the stuff on paper into practicality and develop it into a game. That's kind of more or less how I saw this project going. And maybe that is exactly what we're getting. But according to his, his quote, he's, he's making it pretty clear. Like this is basically a 50-50 joint effort between the initiative, whatever the fuck that team even really means, and Crystal Dynamics, the guys that make the Tomb Raider games we were just talking about. So kind of a crazy thought that's just you know the initiative was touted as like this super big triple a dev uh coming out of xbox all new culture all new team all new identity and then we just never really got anything about them forever and ever and ever and now they're working on perfect dark which is like oh really that's the franchise you're going to work on and they were kind of co-developing it with crystal dynamics a developer that's no doubt you know seasoned and respected and, and, and likable but it's like yeah, really, those guys? It's like, you know, we all kind of saw the initiative as like Microsoft's response to Naughty Dog. But, it, you know, you're giving us you're giving us Crystal Dynamics and they're they're a good developer. They're well above average. But, you know, they're no they're no Naughty Dog. You know, no one looked at Crystal Dynamics and thought, yeah, these guys can these guys can give us a serious competitor to like The Last of Us or god of war you know over at sony santa monica and uh so it's just it continues to be a little bit of a confusing mess um especially now that crystal dynamics has been sold from square enix over to embracer and we all continue to wonder why the fuck wasn't microsoft the one to gobble up these teams especially because they're using these ex-american square enix devs to great effect between fable and fable and perfect dark and just all of it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense but what does make sense is this kind of, you know, this new world of game development we're living in where everything's consolidating, games are becoming super, super expensive to make, and teams are on and off projects left and right, depending on various aspects they're working on, and it just kind of makes more logistical sense for them to lean into this whole, like, hey, this team can help this team with this game during this time period, and then when this part of the game is developed, maybe this team can move on to this project and just kind of be a little more flexible teams rather than like, hey, this developer works on this project solely alone, isolated for five years, and then they, you know, whatever. And, and I think we see that spearhead so much with bigger games like Call of Duty and Assassin's Creed, where it's just multiple teams taking on different parts and, and bits and pieces of the game development and coming together to create one cohesive project. And I think this is Xbox kind of learning from that way of development a little bit and seeing the 
seeing the efficiency that can come with that that style of development and so we're seeing it adapted for xbox so it's it's different and we i guess we really can't say anything until we played the game but no no doubt perfect dark is a game i have less ambition for and, and less i just see less potential in. i just see it as a game that's probably gonna be a really cool reimagining of the perfect dark franchise rather than xbox's response to like the biggest games playstation has on their platform and that's that's fine it's just not what we thought it was right the other half of this story is the halo quote and honestly at this point it's just like i don't know man i don't i don't get a whole lot out of this it's like yeah i i get what you're saying it's like yeah you had the base game down you launched it and then you didn't realize all the restrictions and setbacks from the pandemic are kind of like fucked over halo and stopped it from from being set up for success as far as its live service aspect is kind of don't really buy that because if you remember they were trying to push this game out in 2020 when it clearly wasn't ready and then they gave it an extra year of development and it's like what the fuck were you going to release in 2020 if what you know what we got in 2021 ended up being super insufficient i just i just feel like this is one of those like you know do do the thing and ask for forgiveness later with halo infinite where it's like you guys knew damn well for the longest time that this game was never ready for market and you pushed it out anyway because you wanted the 20th anniversary of Halo tie-in, and you wanted to have something big to go with your console relatively early in the life cycle, and you had this vision for where Halo belonged in the release schedule, and the game wasn't ready, but you were ready, and so you forced out the door, and you said, we'll ask for forgiveness later, and and work, uh, you know, make everything up in the long run with all the content and support, and by not giving up on this game, and, and that's the honest to God truth with Halo Infinite, and honestly, the buck is going to stop with people like Matt Booty, so to me, it's just like, yeah, I appreciate you acknowledging that you guys fucked up, but also, like, you guys knew you fucked up. I don't like this pretending that it's like, oh, man, you know, they're doing such great work and then it tripped it up at the end. It's like, yeah, it's because you guys, you guys pushed it out the door when it wasn't ready, but whatever. I don't, I, we're not here to harp on Halo Infinite, especially not for those reasons, because that's been just done to death. It's just the, the quote, I guess, kind of falls on deaf ears just a bit for me. But that being said, um, you know, this is, this is kind of a, Somewhat of a mood point just because this week it feels like kind of the beginning of the end of the darkest days for Halo Infinite, at least with uh, with Forge finally being here, at least for me. I think that's a huge one. All right, next up here, let's get into Phil Spencer's quote he, uh, coming from VGC, Microsoft's head of gaming, CEO of gaming. He said he's been keen to sit down with Blizzard and discuss potential opportunities for classic RTS real-time strategy games like StarCraft. Speaking with Wired, Phil Spencer was asked if he would like to revive the sci-fi strategy series once Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard is finalized. The first thing I would say is, he says, quote, I'm not allowed to make any decisions about what happens at Activision Blizzard King. So this is all I can say. Um talking and thinking about what the opportunity is but you're absolutely right not only starcraft but warcraft when you think about the heritage of the real-time strategy genre those games we're talking about uh specifically from blizzard and i don't have any concrete plans today but i can't really get into the work with these teams starcraft was a seminal moment for gaming right from the esports perspective to rts on console perspective from just rts storytelling perspective of the genre and i'm excited about getting to sit down with the teams at activision blizzard king and talk about the back catalog and opportunities we might have so i will dodge the question and other than to say it's not something i can actively work on right now but the thought of being able to work on it and the thought of what could happen with those franchises is pretty exciting to me as somebody who spent a lot of hours playing those games and so this is, you know, typical Phil Spencer, a little bit dodgy, saying a whole lot of nothing, and he even admits he's being dodgy here. And I get it. 
there is only so much he can say. I, I, I do also believe that there is this desire to be like, guys, why the fuck did we make StarCraft 2? You know, this is this is like an Xbox that officially owns Blizzard. Guys, why the fuck did we make StarCraft 2? Uh, the game was insanely mother effing popular forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And then we just never made another StarCraft. What is happening? Why was this decision made? Who was like, yeah, let's just do Overwatch porn instead. And we just never, ever, ever got a StarCraft 3 or Warcraft 4, any of this kind of stuff. And listen, if Phil Spencer can be the guy to make us go from a Blizzard that just patronizes its fans and puts out mobile games to a Blizzard that finally gives us Warcraft 4 and StarCraft 3, then I will say maybe this deal was ultimately for the better and and I was wrong from the start because honestly Blizzard has such a good catalog of games that just don't get any it's weird they're they're kind of like Valve in that way it's like you're you're just sitting on the IP meanwhile Overwatch is over here with like what is it 35 million players at launch or since launch motherfucker but anyway this is a hopefully telling of where Phil Spencer wants to go in the future once once they have more concrete control over these IP for the love of Christ, please let us get a StarCraft 3 and a Warcraft 4. It's just so it's I don't know, it's so silly. Why are we about to get the fourth Diablo, but we can't get a third we can't get a third StarCraft? That makes no sense. Anyway, let's wrap up the stories of Mild Amusement with a bunch of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 updates. Speaking of Activision, from VGC. First, we'll talk about the sales. That's the first part here. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 continues to be the fastest-selling entry in the long-running shooter series, according to publisher Activision. Having topped 800 million in uh, in sales in the first three days of availability, the game has now crossed the 1 billion mark in just 10 days. That's a good way to show you just how much games sell the majority of their copies at the very beginning, because 800 million in three days, and then the remaining seven days got them 200 million more, so... Anyway, in doing so, it surpassed the record previously held by 2012's Call of Duty Black Ops 2, which took 15 days to earn $1 billion. So, wow, this game is selling better than Black Ops 2. It's not Black Ops 2 good, but it is selling better than Black Ops 2, so that's a huge achievement. Activision said over 200 million hours were spent playing over 1 billion Modern Warfare 2 matches across PC, Xbox, and PlayStation platforms in the game's first 10 days. So that is the first part. The game is doing incredibly well. It's doing F.U. well. It is on track to be the best performing Call of Duty of all time, which it's a pretty good game. Um, you, you pair that with the fact that last year a lot of people sat out because it wasn't the Call of Duty people wanted. You pair that with the fact that this year there was a huge gaming drought where just not a whole lot was happening. You pair that with the fact of the brand recognition the, in, in the fervor people have for the Modern Warfare name. You combine it all together, that's one potent game, you know. Uh, but continuing on with the Call of Duty news, concerning the 2023 premium content we've been talking on and off about through rumors, Activision has confirmed that they intend to deliver a premium full release in Call of Duty in 2023. Although it's unclear what the form of the premium release will be for sure, Bloomberg previously claimed Activision has chosen to hold back the next mainline entry of the Call of Duty series, which is expected to be from the Black Ops developer Treyarch, essentially skipping a release for the first time in two decades. As we mentioned on the show, Bloomberg journalist Jason Schreier claimed that the premium content cited by Activision is a significant expansion for 2022 uh, for the Modern Warfare 2 game. Uh, Schreier was quoted on Twitter saying, Let me make this super clear. The next game by Treyarch is coming in 2024. Next year, 2023, there will be a Modern Warfare 2 premium paid expansion developed by Sledgehammer, the guys behind Vanguard. 
And by premium, a lot of people are assuming this means $70. It's supposed to have lots of content. Maybe that's why they call it a full release, but it is more Modern Warfare 2. All right, let's stop here for a second because this is the meat and potatoes, I think, of the Call of Duty news right now. I find this incredibly weird. I think a lot of us assume this is going to be, all right, it's going to be expansion to the campaign from the base game, right? So like a continuation of the campaign. And then it's going to be a bunch of multiplayer maps, like a whole new suite of multiplayer maps, maybe a 10 or a dozen or so, right? A bunch of remade ones from old school Modern Warfare 2, a bunch of new maps, whatever the case may be. An overhauling of the progression system, perhaps, or a bunch of new camos with some new guns. I don't know, but it's going to basically be the ODST to Modern Warfare 2, I guess. And uh, that, that's been the assumption, um, but now we're getting some kind of uh, insider information from Jason Schreier, probably the most reliable guy uh, to leak and uh, leak reliable information on games. And, and and just the fact that the expansion is being made by Sledgehammer is a huge puzzling bit of information for me because, well, first of all, it kind of makes me wonder, has Sledgehammer officially been demoted to, like, support team the way that, like, Raven kind of makes, you know, Raven has been tasked with making Warzone and, doing some dev support here and there on other titles, you know, all these other teams, Activision Shanghai and Beanox and how all those guys have been made support teams. And it's, is Sledgehammer being demoted to that tier? And now they're, they're going to be able to go back to like the classic Infinity Ward, Treyarch, Infinity Ward, Treyarch. And with all these support teams, they'll be able to kind of sustain doing this by taking two year gaps between games. And I don't know, it makes me curious. And also, you know, it's like, Infinity Ward's baby is Modern Warfare, especially the story they tell in that game. So wouldn't they want to be the ones doing the story content? You're just going to let basically Sledgehammer take over the storytelling of Modern Warfare 2? That's That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially considering that Sledgehammer has proven that they mostly aren't the best storytellers when it comes to COD because you know Modern Warfare and Black Ops consistently tell the better stories. And it's just what 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 is going on here? So that is a little bit of a head-scratcher. I don't know why you would want to remove the main developer from the premium content, but I also understand it's like, well, maybe you need to take act or, or infinity ward off of modern warfare two by 2023. So they can begin work on the next modern warfare game, modern warfare three, probably set to be released in, I don't know, 2026. So it, it is a curious move by Activision here. And I wonder what, what the hell they're going for. But that in particular is the thing I'm hung up on is the, is the, the sledgehammer, the part where sledgehammer is, is being cited as the one working on it. Now, the, the other part of the rumor is that it might be upwards of $70 for this expansion. I was always assuming this would be like a 40, $50 expansion. So $70 is a steep, steep ask, but you know, if there's any game that can get away with doing it, maybe it's Call of duty. And you know, they position and market it just right to where it really does feel like you're basically just getting a direct sequel to modern warfare two, but it's, not Modern Warfare 3, then I guess maybe you can get away with it. But $70 is a fat fucking premium for some additional multiplayer maps and some additional campaign. So I, I don't know. We'll have to see how they, they're able to pull that off. But this this story about the gap year for Call of Duty and the premium content as a follow-up to support the game further continues to get juicier and juicier. And we just got to see where it leads us. And then finally with Call of Duty... The last bit of info is that uh, Warzone season, uh, Warzone 2.0 and, and Modern Warfare 2 Season 1 have been kind of outlined coming out. On November 16th, they've announced uh, Warzone 2.0 will begin. The DMZ mode, which has been teased for the game, will be there. A couple new multiplayer maps, new weapons, new operators, so tons of new content to be looking forward to there. And that is when you can start with your uh, prestiging, your season prestiging. So lots of shit surrounding Modern Warfare 2. 
highly successful game. Congrats to Activision. It is a great game. I'm, I'm still enjoying the hell out of it. I've still played many, many hours of it. This game has definitely distracted me from going back to Halo as much as I need to get back to Halo. And uh, rightfully so. It's a, it's a pretty damn good game. And you know... Call of Duty is never as eventful or special as a new Halo game, but I will give Call of Duty some fucking credit. At least the game came out with a uh, complete package, you know, the, despite the many issues that this game does have. And granted, it does have some pretty, pretty serious issues. It's, you know, at least it came with a full fucking multiplayer package and a full campaign to boot. So Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 continue to be a good old time, but we've moved on to Sonic. So thank you very much. Uh, you can take your Warzone and shove it up your butthole. Okay. Now, that's it for all the stories of mild amusement and updates and all these kinds of things. Let's move on to the actual news, but you guys know how the story goes. We don't just jump right into the news. First, got to talk about the games we've been playing this week, and you already know what I'm going to talk about. But before I can even talk about that, I do want to talk about what I've been eating this past week. And guys, what I've been eating, oh boy, have I got to tell you about what I've been eating. Well, actually, uh, I kind of took an impromptu cruise vacation this weekend. Uh, one of the very nice benefits of living here in Central Florida is that I, uh, I'm I'm less than an hour away from a cruise port, and so, you know, it's very convenient and, and easy for me to just, uh, you know, do something that a lot of you know it's take for granted this thing that a lot of people would have to wait a long ass time for and plan around and fly and travel and coordinate to do, which is which is cruise. And so, uh, buddy and I were able to a buddy of mine and I were able to. Um, Find a, a literally a weekend cruise, like a Saturday Sunday cruise um, that was like forty five minutes from where we are. So we just decided to hop on for the weekend and uh, celebrate his birthday and have a good time. And so we went on a, a little two night Bahama Bohemian cruise. And uh, boy, I, I gotta tell you, like I, I until until earlier this year, I'd never been on a cruise before. Uh, but this marks the second time now that I have cruised, and I just gotta say, it is. My all-time favorite thing. It just—it really is just the great, the greatest thing of all time. You know, there's playing a video game, sure. There's falling in love, sure. You know, there's Disney World, whatever. But going on a boat and being stranded from the rest of humanity, cut off from all the technology that just bogs us down and makes us miserable each and every day, and being surrounded with nothing but just like ocean air and endless food. It's just one of the most special things in the world, and I just never really thought I would love this because my greatest, most deep-seated fear is is the ocean. You know, I fucking hate sea creatures, dolphins, whales. These things terrify me to fucking death. It's insane how, how afraid I am of these things. You know, just being on the ocean, being on the water, I always thought I would I would hate cruising, but no, it just feels like you're in a, a giant fucking all-expense-paid luxury hotel for a few days, and you just get a bunch of food shoved down your throat. And it's great. So I want to give a shout out to the Royal Caribbean Cruise for feeding me well this weekend. I'm talking fucking it's it's one in the morning. You know, you're in your you're in your little room. It's one in the morning. You're laying in your little bed. You're watching There's Something About Mary on TV because for some fucking reason you think it's 2001. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, my God, I can just order room service as much as I want. And it's just included with my cruise. And so you pick up that phone at one in the morning and your body looks at you in the mirror because somehow your body, not your face, has eyes. And it's just like, fuck you. And you're like, fuck you. I'm going to do it anyway. And you pick up that phone and you, and you hit the room service button. You say pepperoni pizza, buffalo wings hot with ranch, fucking chicken tenders with fries, a Philly cheesesteak chocolate cake you say all the things and it's one in the morning and your doctor's calling you and somehow you have service out in the middle of the ocean he's like motherfucker don't do it and you're like fuck you i'm doing it anyway and uh 
yeah, it's, I mean, 20 minutes later, you know, someone knocks on your door and there you go. There's your chocolate cake, chicken wings, pizza, everything you ever needed. And it's just the greatest feeling in the world. So I just want to give a shout out to the Royal Caribbean cruise, to all the cruise lines, because you're all beautiful in your own way. All you got to do is get pay that admission fee. And then you just eat like a goddamn king as much as you want, whenever you want. The food is never exceptional. It's never, it's never more than, oh, that's pretty decent. But it's all included. And it's all what you want. So I am talking to you, coming to you live this week, 20 pounds heavier than usual. And I don't regret a single goddamn thing. I don't know why, but weirdly enough, the uh, the crab cakes were really good on that cruise ship, which is weird because... Uh, I feel like decent crab cakes are hard to come by, but guys, that's what I've been eating. I've been eating a lot. If I if I could show you the pictures of my phone, because I only I really only take pictures of two things: my cat and the food I eat. And uh, yeah, my my oof, I'm fat. I'm fat right now. Fat in a good way. That's it for what I've been eating. But guys, let's talk about the real meat and potatoes of what's going on here. And that's the games I've been playing. And there's only one really worth mentioning, worth a damn at all, and it's. Sonic motherfucking Frontiers. Now, as the time we're recording this, it is Wednesday night. The game came out Tuesday. I have had almost no time to play this game because Tuesday I had to go to work. Then I was on that podcast last night. And then tonight I have to do my podcast. And so I've had almost no time to play this game. But I was not going to let any of that get in the way. Yesterday, I shit you not, the day the game came out, Tuesday morning, I set an alarm for 4 a.m., so I could get up and play this game before work. And, you know, I've tried to wake up at 4 a.m. before work sometimes to, like, try and go for a jog or try and drink coffee and read a book and stimulate my brain before I really get started for the day. You know, try to do things that might actually benefit me in my life. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's usually a pretty fucking big, tall order for me. You know, it's really hard to get myself to do that. For Sonic Frontiers, uh -uh -uh, baby. My alarm went off at 4 o'clock and I was like... Up and at them, boys. Let's go run around a goddamn Green Hill Zone as Sonic the Hedgehog because I have to do it. It is what drives my soul. I do not need sleep for this. And, um, yeah, man. So between that, sneaking in a little bit of playtime here and there, I've only really been able to play three-ish hours, if that, if that, you know. Uh, so I, I'm really not too super far into this game. It looks like how long to beat is saying a lot of people are getting this game clocked in at, like, 20 hours. So for a Sonic game, this is quite long. Uh, but I, I just got to say, Sonic Frontiers is damn good. Now, I know if you've ever listened to the Xbox on podcast before, you're thinking, Jesse, no fucking shit you think it's damn good. It's Sonic. This motherfucker will sit here and defend Sonic 06 all day if you let him. That's half true. But listen, this game is genuinely good. Listen, I am, I am self-aware enough and I have enough of a nuanced taste in gaming, I, I believe, if I may say so. That I can acknowledge the fact that Sonic games are generally, generally, sometimes they're really good, but generally Sonic games are pretty damn bad, especially the 3D games. I get that. I am still able to enjoy them because I have garbage taste and I just am so attached to Sonic that I am able to find enjoyment in games like Sonic Forces and Sonic Boom, despite the fact that they are objectively not good games. This is not one of those cases. This is more like Sonic Generations, Sonic Colors, uh, for those of you who want to hear it, because I know I know everyone who grew up in the early 2000s wants to hear this. I'm talking like Sonic Adventure 2 level of good. Like, this is a good Sonic game. This is a game I can confidently recommend to you and say you will not play this game and go, that's garbage. What is wrong with you? 
That's what I'm saying. And I mean, don't just take my word for it. You can look anywhere. Everyone's a little surprised at how not bad this game is. I think the general consensus is it's not groundbreaking. It's not the greatest game of all time, but hey, it's good. Sonic's back. It's a good Sonic game. These are not easy to come by. And it's sitting right now, I think, at a Metacritic score of 73, which is well above, you know, if you remember, I said on the podcast originally my 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 goal for this game, my, my theory was that it would probably Metacritic uh, average somewhere in the 58 to 64 range. And then I think a week or two ago, I said I was feeling a little bullish on this game, and I think it might even hit upwards of a 68. Well, guys, even that wasn't high enough because it's it's hit a 73. That's pretty damn good by Sonic standards. I don't think you understand. For Sonic fans, seeing a 73 Metacritic score is like seeing a 98 on any other game. So it's a pretty big deal that people are enjoying this game. And uh, it, it, no, it, all, all joking aside, I mean, that's not joking. There's everything I just said is, is factual, but uh, you know, all lightheartedness aside about, <laughs> about, you know, the way people flippantly just rip on Sonic. It, it is a good game. It is, it is a good, good game. And let me just stop speaking in vagueness because I'm not a politician and I can actually back up the things I believe with actual evidence and factual experience and, and concrete details. So let me, let me jump into some of that. So Sonic Frontiers, successfully answers the issue that has plagued 3D Sonic games since the inception of 3D Sonic, which is how do you create a game that is solely centered around Sonic's speed, but also make it to where you have a proper full-length game that isn't just six hours you blast it through the game? Because that's, that's the problem, right? Old school Sonic games, they're like three-hour second Genesis games. That was normal. That was justifiable. That was kind of the norm for a game like that. And they were these 2D side-scrolling level-based games. They, they made sense. The, the whole speed mechanic, it, it adapted well to the, the medium. But as we enter the 3D space, Sonic has run into this, era, this issue again and again where, you know, creating detailed, fully fleshed out, explorable 3D levels is is a time-consuming and daunting task. And you can't just make a shit ton of these and then have a game where you blast through them at 120 miles an hour and boom, you're done in a minute. It's like that's way too much development for very little gameplay. It just doesn't make sense for Sonic games. It's been the plight, the issue of Sonic for a long time. That's why the adventure games had all these other bullshit things where it's like, well, you also play a couple levels as Froggy fishing. You also play a little bit as a robot blasting things. In Sonic Adventure 2, you're, you fly around as Knuckles digging for gems. You know, In Sonic Adventure 2, you also jump around as Dr. Robotnik in a mech suit because they need to come up with all these excuses to kind of like pad out the gameplay because if every level is just Sonic the Hedgehog going 120, you need like five years to develop a handful of levels that you're going to blast through in 60 seconds or less. And this has always been the problem. Like you even up, you know, that was the late nineties, early two thousands. You fast forward to like the 2010s with games, you know, late, late two thousands, early 2010s with games like Sonic Unleashed, where they're like, okay, we have this new boost formula. And to kind of balance that out, we got like these werehog levels where it's more like God of War style combat and that slows things down. And with that, we're able to kind of pad out the game and get a little bit of both worlds, you know, and, and that, you know, obviously had mixed reception despite that being my favorite Sonic game. This has just continuously been the issue. And when Sega tries to just be like, you know what? We give in. We're not doing the whole gimmicky thing of you play as this character, you do this other kind of play style. You get games like, Sonic Generations, and Sonic Generations, I think, is one of the more beloved 3D Sonic games. Everyone agrees it's a good game. Well, the problem with Sonic Generations is you can beat that game in like four or five hours because that game is literally just Sonic levels, just straight through, you blast through levels, and you can't sell a game like that for 60, 70 bucks. It just doesn't work. 
And so a lot of Sonic games in recent history have been like $40 games because they cannot justify charging a full $60 for these games you just blast through in 10 seconds. Sonic Frontiers finally, finally, finally fixes the issue. And I know a lot of people look at this game from the trailers and say, wow, that's just Zelda Breath of the Wild, but with Sonic in it. The more you play it, the more it really doesn't feel like that. And yes, don't get me wrong, this game is definitely influenced by Zelda Breath of the Wild. This game is definitely influenced by a lot of what modern Nintendo games have done. I think this game takes influence easily from uh, Mario Odyssey, for sure, actually. Lots of things. And In fact, I think this game probably has more influence from Mario Odyssey than it does from Breath of the Wild, but you have to pick up on that through the gameplay and less through just what you see through trailers. But all in, all in a good way, this game is phenomenal. What it does is it finally pre presents a way for Sonic to run fast and do his thing and not compromise on the vision of what Sonic's gameplay is to be while also fixing the issue of we can't just develop endless levels forever and ever and ever just for you to blaze through them in 60 seconds or less. And that's where this whole concept of open zone takes place. And we laughed at it for a while because it's like, we're, we should say it, it's a Sonic open world game. But Sonic, Sega kept calling it, no, 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 it's open zone. It's not open world, it's open zone. Well, thankfully... That's not some PR bullshit. That's actually a thing. It actually makes sense once you play the game. Because there are, I think it's five. I, I don't know. I'm still on the first one. But there's, I believe, five different islands you visit in this game. And each one is like a self-contained open world, if you will. The thing about it is, these open worlds, they're they're pretty big. You know, they're, they're not like fucking Skyrim big, but they're they're large. And the, and the thing about it is, they're so dense and compact with shit to do. The whole game is just like... You run around like a fucking madman, and, and if and if you want to just beeline through the actual story content, the game's actually pretty linear despite being in an open setting. And that's one of the things I think this game gets right from the get that a lot of these games fail. This is a thing I think Breath of the Wild fails at so miserably. Is Breath of the Wild is such a beautiful, big, boring, empty world where nothing is alive and nothing does anything, and there's no one to talk to, and there's nothing to explore. It's just you and physics in a giant map, and that's all there is to it. Sonic Frontiers isn't much different in that regard because it's not like there's just tons of characters to interact with and tons of side quests. And no, it's not. It's Sonic. You run around, you collect things. It's basically like Mario in terms of it's just a collect-a-thon. Collect gears to collect keys to collect chaos emeralds to unlock levels to help these characters play these mini-games, run through these things, do these speed challenges, defeat these enemies. And it's all just about this collect-a-thon Mario, 3D Mario kind of nature. And it's really addicting and it's so much fun. But the thing is... The game constantly pulls you through this open world type environment in such a linear way, but also in a frantic linear way that it feels like you're constantly exploring, but constantly on track with what you need to be doing, but constantly being hit with this dopamine of like, oh, this is fun. I'm making progress. I'm doing the thing. And I think this is a special sauce that is so schizophrenic and so frantic that it only makes sense for something like Sonic. It's so unbelievably good. You know, you think about a game like Far Cry, right? Far Cry, such a classic pinnacle example of, of an open world game, right? Far Cry can be daunting. You can play it like I do, and you can just beeline through the, the story and just play main mission, main mission, main mission, fuck everything else, right? And you'll miss 60% of what the game has to offer because the game has so much to offer outside the main story. Whatever. You can play a game like Zelda Breath of the Wild or Skyrim where it's like, Sometimes I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing in this game because it's so easy to just get lost. There's so many ways to just explore and find things. Sometimes it feels like you're getting nowhere. Sometimes it feels like you're doing nothing. And sometimes it feels like you're building your own stories and your, old, your own adventures despite the fact that you're not necessarily playing the main quest, right? With Sonic Frontiers, it's like, 
the game is constantly pulling you in all these different directions. It's like, fight this enemy. This, but fighting this enemy isn't like, you know, it's not like just jump on their head and do a homing attack. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, this this enemy can fly. So you jump on its on, on the back of this enemy, and it, and it has, like, this ribbon that runs through it. And you, like, run on it like Rainbow Road from Mario Kart. And you have to avoid its attacks. And then you have to... It's like a boss encounter, basically. There's, like, so much nuance to how you fight this one enemy type. And if you if you defeat that enemy, it drops a gear. You collect that gear, then you run over here. And you pick up these little Coco guys, and you bring them over to the Elder. And then that guy will help upgrade your your speed and your defense and then you run over here and you collect this other item you give it to amy and she's going to help you unlock this portal this portal is going to unlock a speed level speed level is going to be like a traditional 3d fast running sonic level and then that within that level it's going to have a bunch of objectives beat it in this time period collect all the red rings in the level whatever and that will help you unlock more gears or more keys more keys will help you unlock the next chaos emerald but the thing is it's not just like here's a map do whatever you want whenever you want you can do it that way but the game will also kind of push you in the direction of how to get more things, how to do more tasks. And none of it's particularly hard. You're not going to constantly hit your head against a wall if this enemy's too hard or this challenge too difficult. I can't get this speed record beaten. It's all pretty doable. And there's enough balancing that you can select your difficulty here and your preferred style there. It's really approachable for all ages. But the thing is, it's so addicting because all the while, it's just like, I'm collecting this, I'm collecting that, I'm running here, I'm running there. But it all feels like you're making progress to the end goal of the game. And it all feels like it's it's pushing forward. And what really helps complement this is for the first time in basically forever in Sonic, we have a compelling story to go with it. They hired uh, Ian Flynn, the writer of the Sonic comic book series, to write this game. Thank you, God. I've read the Sonic comic books for a long time now. I've, I, I literally follow these every month. I love this comic series. You know, it's no, it's, it's no fucking, like... I don't know, it's a show, it's no Game of Thrones, you know, it's nothing riveting, but, you know, it's a cool, fun story, it's uh, it's clearly written by someone who has a deep passion for Sonic, and, and the characters, and the lore, and wants to tell a compelling story within that, is it an all-ages, pretty easy-to-grasp story, yeah, but does it feel like they're actually putting an effort, and doing something, and there's some interesting stuff going on, absolutely, and it's cool, because you're not just playing level after level after level, stop Dr. Eggman, it's like, you're completing all these missions, and then you get some more exposition. Sonic and Amy are chatting it up as you're doing these other things. So you're learning more about like what's going on and what what's this mysterious island? How'd you get here? And and who's behind all this? And you're kind of like having this mystery unfold as you're just basically doing these giant open world checkbox style objectives. But you're not getting frustrated and cock blocked constantly by a world that's like explore me. Don't don't you know whatever. It's like no no no. You're just running around doing all the shit, and it's just. It's an approach to a open world s game that just makes so much sense for Sonic. Because Sonic, by nature, is such a ridiculous character. It's like, let me just run all the fucking way and be at 100 miles an hour for no fucking reason. You're wall running, you're wall jumping, you're, you're going super fast, you're spinning in circles, you're homing attacks, you're grinding rails, you're doing all this stuff. And all the while, it just somehow makes sense. And it's just so fun and addicting. And I... I cannot believe they have before us a Sonic game that is just so fun and so addicting and so new and exciting. And it's something I can confidently say. Like, if you are a fan of 3D platformers, play Sonic Frontiers. What are you doing? This is the 3D platformer of the year to be playing. And I know there haven't been many this year, so it's not saying much. But this is the one to have your attention drawn to. Like, this is a game you should be paying attention to. If you're a lap Sonic fan, 
Let this be the thing to bring you back. This is a good game. You know, if you're a first-person shooter fan, if you're like a traditional, stereotypical Xbox, I played Call of Duty and Gears of War and Halo, and I don't want that stupid kid shit. I don't want Sonic. Dude, by all means, I understand. I respect that. Maybe this game isn't for you, but if you've ever been into Sonic, if you've ever been into 3D platformers, character platformers, whatever, this is one I say you kind of have to play. This is pushing the envelope forward. I think it's insanely cool. It's insanely fun. Now, it's not all good news. There are some drawbacks. There are some issues. I think the art style is really not my thing. It's a little dull and drab and, and, and plain. And that makes me sad because, you know, Sonic has proven time and time again throughout history that it, it is one of the more colorful and exciting platformer games. I, I still say Sonic Unleashed has the pinnacle of what Sonic's aesthetic should be um, with the kind of Pixar human characters and all these vibrant different worlds you get to travel to. And, you know, graphics used to be a huge point with Sonic games. This game's graphics are not particularly amazing because you can tell they were trying to develop the game with the Nintendo Switch in mind. So I'm not going to sit here and act like it's all great. There's Yes, you've probably seen the videos if you follow this game at all. Lots of texture pop-ins and things like that. Nothing that has really bothered me or ruined the game for me in any way, but it is noticeable and it is there. The game by default puts you on 4K 30 FPS mode. Please, for love of God, go in and switch that to the 60 FPS 1080p mode because it's way better. It makes your gaming experience way better. But like, yeah, I have gripes. The game's not perfect, and I'm only three hours in, so I'm sure I have plenty of things to be frustrated with and to not love about the game as I progress. But I will say, as someone who's just such a diehard Sonic fan, I mean, I'm telling you, man, when it comes to gaming, there are three games that are going to make me piss my pants and drop everything to play. And it is a new Halo game, a new Sonic game, and a new Mario game, a 3D Mario game. And, yeah, I mean, Sonic Frontiers, I, I'm just upset with myself that I didn't take time off work for this game because... I'm loving it so, so much. Thank, thank God we're having a tropical storm slash hurricane here tomorrow because I think we're all going to be stuck at home here in Florida. So uh, hopefully, you know, barring any any power outages, hopefully just play the fuck out of this game tomorrow. And it's, it's just so good. So Sonic Frontiers, I'll probably have more and more and more to say about this game as the weeks go on because this is definitely going to be the thing that consumes my life. I'm just telling you right now, you know, I loved so many games I played this year. Nobody Saves the World still, I think, was probably the biggest surprise for me. It was my favorite game of the year up until this moment. But fuck you, Sonic Frontiers is my new number one. It's just, it's Sonic. It's what I want. This is the thing that just drives my soul and makes me so happy. And I'm very, very happy with how this game has turned out. So go ahead, give it a try if it's something you're curious about. Fully, fully recommend if you're a lap Sonic fan or if you're a Sonic fan in general, you got something really exciting to look forward to. And if Sonic's not your taste, that's fine. We got other games to talk about. So let's move on to other games by moving into the actual news segment from this point. Um, I think we got our first story here is very Xbox centric. Um, so maybe maybe this will help bring you back to life if you were just needing to be resuscitated after listening to me blabber on about Sonic for 20 minutes. So guys, take a deep breath. Just because Sonic goes fast doesn't mean I have to go fast. We can slow down. All right, let's get into the news. All right, our first news story of the week. This is very Xbox-centric. VGC reports that Netflix have announced plans to release a number of Gears of War projects, including a live-action film. It is said that the movie will be followed by a Gears of War adult animated series and possibly further projects. The news was revealed on Monday to coincide with the 16th anniversary of the Gears of War franchise. Streaming giant Netflix has said that it's partnered with first-party Xbox Studios, The Coalition, to adapt the franchise to film and TV. Actor Dave Bautista, who has appeared in Gears 5, has previously expressed interest in portraying the series protagonist Marcus Phoenix in the film adaptation. Man, how long has it been? It's kind of crazy that this, this is happening because 
we waited so, so long for the Halo movie, the Halo show, whatever, to finally come out. You know, it's switched hands a million times. The concepts changed a million times. But finally, we got that Halo show. Was it worth it? No. In fact, the longer we go that removed from that show, the more I realized I really dislike the Halo show. But the other one is the Gears of War show or the Gears of War movie we've been waiting for forever. And, uh, hey, it can't be much worse than the Halo show. Let's put it that way. But, no, I I don't know, man. It's hard for me to be excited about these kinds of things because although this is huge news and I love Gears of War, I just can't get excited about video game movies. They're almost never good. They're almost always pretty damn bad. And, and the fact that it's going to be live action is just... Uh, and you know Netflix isn't going to want to drop top dollar on it. I mean, is it going to be one of their more well-funded projects? Probably. But do I worry about how bad the CG on the locust are going to be. And yeah, I do. It's probably going to look like absolute dog shit. This is why, you know, fantasy stuff like the Witcher kind of works out live action because it's a lot of like filming shit in the woods, but eh, there's more like sci-fi grim shit, future shooter crap. I don't know how it's going to fly live action unless you pump just an ungodly amount of money into this. And I just don't think they're going to do that. However, on the other side, we got the animated series that's supposed to follow the live action movie. And that I'm all on board for. In fact, Netflix has made a name for themselves with the Castlevania show, with the cyberpunk anime. They, they, they've they been shown that they can do animated video game related content very well, especially TV shows. And I love the I, I love the idea of an animated show for basically anything we have in video games. Uh, I, I would have loved the Halo show if it had been an animated TV show. Um, Gears of War being animated, I think you, you can't go wrong. The thing is, when you do animated, you don't have to worry about all the constraints of shitty CGI. You don't have to worry about all the constraints of shitty acting. You don't. You, so much of the visual style of the animation can make up for the otherwise subpar storytelling if the writing isn't particularly great. It's just animation is just so it lends itself so much better to the stories that we get and the characters we see in gaming and i just think trying to do live action and take yourself too seriously almost always ends up backfiring so it's just not it's really not a great idea but here we are we're gonna get it anyway i guess if we're gonna have to try to be optimistic about it because this thing is coming i guess we can look at it on the bright side which is that dave batista he plays drax in guardians of the galaxy i think he used to be a wrestling guy uh, has famously been just like, hey, I want to be Marcus Phoenix. This has been known for quite a long time at this point. And so I think it would be kind of a massive missed opportunity if they do not try and get this guy in the role. I think he is kind of the perfect fit for Marcus Phoenix. So it really just doesn't make sense not to do it. But I will be interested to see if they just end up going for uh, whoever the guy that played <laughs> Master Chief is again. Maybe they, just, maybe they just use him again. I don't know, just to fucking make everyone sad, but I, I don't know, man. I, I can't feign a lot of excitement for something like this. I can't believe it took this long for us to finally get the Gears of War movie, but, you know, we're in this time where everything, every fucking thing in video gaming is getting a show, movie, whatever, Netflix, HBO, theatrical release, so... We're getting the we're getting the the TV show, which which I am kind of looking forward to. But we're also getting the live action movie, which is gonna be just something we're all gonna have to get through. For the love of God, I'm just rubbing my eyes because I'm stressed out thinking about this movie coming out. And yeah, I guess maybe it will make <clears throat> non gamer related people familiar with the Gears franchise. I understand that can be a boost. But the other thing I wonder is maybe, man, I kind of hope this is the case. But I wonder if they want to maybe coincide the release of this movie with whatever the next Gears of War game is, in which case 
you know, we might have to look to this to kind of get an idea of when we're going to get more Gears of War the video game. So that's another thing to consider. Yeah. So look forward to Chris Pratt in Guardians of the Galaxy. Coming soon to a theater near not you because it's Netflix. All right, next up. Guys, let's talk about Diablo 4. This is probably the bigger news of the week, but, you know, Gears of War, how can I not put that in the number one spot? Windows Central relays that, or reports, Diablo 4. Yeah, this is a scoop from Windows Central, from Jez Corden, so let's give credit where credit's due. Diablo 4, also known as Diablo F- IV, I'm sorry, Diablo 4, is already officially slated for a 2023 release, but now we have a narrowed-down specific month. The game could be launching a little sooner than perhaps many had expected. As discussed in the latest Xbox Era podcast, the team had revealed the possibility of Diablo 4 launching in April of 2023. Windows Central can also tentatively corroborate that April 2023 launch window via their own previous sources alongside some other details. Rumors appearing over the summer revealed that Diablo 4 would be announced in the Game Awards, originally leaking via r slash classic wow subreddit we have seen the additional evidence appearing to confirm this rumor alongside various beta windows that means that in this december in just a few weeks we would get an official reveal or official date according to xbox era and windows central sources blizzard is playing a sizable marketing blitz for diablo 4 starting at the game awards 2022 with the game's launch in april windows launch windows should be revealed at that point additionally pre-orders should be open to during the show including various uh, digital and physical editions of the of the game with goodies for hardcore fans to collect if the information is is correct a beta for those who pre-order the game should be available sometime in february although there were likely little doubt about this Windows Central can confirm that Blizzard is planning a season-based live service for Diablo 4 supported by microtransactions. The company has previously discussed in the official blog posts. According to Windows Central's information, Season 1 is tentatively scheduled for Quarter 3, despite the game's launching in April. So, maybe looking for a Halo Infinite approach. <laughs> anyway, all joking aside, so Diablo 4, I don't know why I just was so taken aback by this. Um, because in my head, I was just like, oh yeah, Diablo 4 will be a big fall title, but it looks like it's coming out in April, which I think is kind of really an excellent time for Diablo because the the beginning of the year is looking really busy with like February and March and all that. April's never a particularly busy time, so this is a really good time to get something out there and let it breathe a little bit. And then as we start to head into the slow summer months, you have this live service Diablo title to kind of help it shine and and live on and kind of do strong throughout the year. Whereas, you know, you assume through the fall, that's when you get to your Starfields and your games like that, which are going to garner a lot more of the attention away from a title like this. Not to say that Diablo and Starfield necessarily are one-to-one competitors, because I don't think for a fucking second they are. But, you know, you want to, especially if you're Xbox and you're in the process of acquiring Activision Blizzard, you want to be able to push this game hard on Xbox and have it be a little bit separate from your other big titles of the year. Because regardless of how the acquisition goes, uh, remember Activision Blizzard uh, have a marketing deal with Xbox for Diablo 4. So you want to be able to split that up. This gives you something to really push for Xbox in the springtime. So that in in the summer, hopefully you can get Redfall out and then in the fall you can get uh starfield so i don't know this is a i think this is a really ideal launch time frame for this game um that is until everything in february gets delayed to april and then this game gets delayed till june but we'll have to wait and see how that inevitably rolls out because everything does get delayed these days diablo 4 i I don't know man just let it hog the spotlight i think that'll be that'll be good blizzard's definitely on the up and up Uh, i know people are complaining constantly about blizzard but 
Overwatch 2 is doing insane numbers. The Diablo mobile game is doing very well. And I assume this game will join the ranks among those two with just doing so incredibly well. And I don't know. This can be the self. If managed properly, help get Blizzard back on the map just in time for the acquisition to finalize next spring. And then Xbox is gold with the Activision deal. Now, we only have two more stories in the main news segment. I don't know. I don't really know what's going on. I guess we're kind of like reverting back to the old days of Xbox on when this was like an hour and a half long show. Can't have that happening, guys. Come on. We got We got to find a way to drag this out. But let's get an update on Halo Infinite's Battle Royale mode, codenamed Tatanka. Again, Windows Central. Reading the following. One of the biggest upcoming releases for Halo Infinite players to look forward to is the arrival of Project Tatanka, codenamed for the Battle Royale st- style mode that's currently in development from developer Certain Affinity. Details surrounding the experience are limited and haven't been publicly announced yet, but throughout 2022, fans have been able to learn bits and pieces surrounding the game's development. Recently, the new information about the project has emerged from Twitter user Bathrobe Spartan, who has shared with what appears to be data mined Halo Infinite game files that reference the mode. The code files indicate that Tatanka will be a distinct and will have distinct intro phases as well, as well as a deployment release phase. The players players will begin each match by dropping into the map in a pod similar to the ones used by Halo's ODSTs, while squads will deploy in, as a team. Each member will each member of the team will have an individual control over their drop pod so that they can ex- choose exactly where they'd like to drop. The data mine info also revealed that Tataka will be joining an in-game progress up until the development phase giving players the ability to join with their friends ahead of the start of each match. We also learn, or Windows Central also learns that unlike other Battle Royale modes, they start off with no weapons, that start you off with no weapons at all. Tataka will equip everyone in the lobby with an initial loadout that players will be able to fight with until they are able to find better gear, very Halo-esque. While leaks like these should always be taken with a grain of salt, sources that communicate with Windows Central familiar with the development of the title have confirmed that this will indeed be a drop pod like Seb. Additionally, we've also heard that the ability for players to earn spawn tickets is being teased ahead of the ambitious modes launch, though whether or not the feature makes it to the finalized version of the game is yet to be seen. Currently unclear if Tatanka will arrive and become part of the Halo Infinite content suite. It could arrive during season four of mid 2023, but there's no mention of the mode or anything like that for a roadmap uh, for March or season three, but it could also be possible that we may not see the battle royale launch until 2023 at the end of the year, or even 2024. Ultimately we won't know anything for sure until Microsoft 343 industries and certain affinity publicly reveal the project to the world. Now, what do you think about this project being announced at the game awards? I feel like that would be a good idea to tease this. You know, you got, Warzone 2 is freshly out. Now you can get some attention. Be like, you guys are hyped on Battle Royale. Don't worry, Halo's got one coming. Here's what it looks like. We have more to talk about next year. And I don't know, maybe that could be a good way to kind of roll this out. I don't know. Could be bad, but I just feel like if you're trying to get the Halo hype train going back up, you just got Forge. It's going to garner a lot of hype. And then next month, you can show off Tatanka. And then at the end of December, you can do your winter event. And then... You know, starting next year, we can, you know, soon we can get season three going. I feel like that would start to really get the ball rolling on Halo Infinite, but we'll have to wait and see. Now, aside from that, this is promising to hear because Halo, Halo's Battle Royale is going to have to set itself apart from the competition. And now there's a lot riding on this project because if it's going to release, that's Halo Infinite, which I still firmly believe. I really hate these rumors about it being released separately 
unaffiliated with Halo Infinite because it just drives me nuts to think about it that way. I don't, I don't know why. My, my brain cannot process it. So I keep thinking of it as a part of Halo Infinite, a core tenant, a core pillar of the Halo Infinite experience. And to me, it's like, you know, Halo Infinite already is kind of fighting on its on its heels a little bit because it's had such a massive content drought that it's unable to keep up and remain relevant in the minds of players, even those who enjoyed it. So in order for this game to not only be big, but to also retain players, you really have to find a way to carve your your mark in the Battle Royale space. And I think these are kinds of the little things that we're starting to see. That's like, yes, that's how you do it. That's how you, you know, the ODST drop pods, what a touch, what an obvious thing you have to take advantage of, you know, stuff like that. The respawn tickets, um, just kind of like interesting ways to take the conventions of a battle royale and make it a little more, a little different. I love the idea of the equal starts that, that one in particular, I'm like, that's so halo implementing that into battle royale will not only be unique, but also feel so authentically and unmistakably halo. Everyone's starting with like, you know, like a mag, like a, like a sidekick and an AR and then, and then that way you have something to kind of defend yourself with. But then we all fight for better weapons, better armor, better equipment. And then it's then that's Halo. That's how Halo works. So I, I don't know. I think these are the kinds of moves that need to be made. At this point, it's really just a matter of like, wh when are we going to start talking about this? You know, what, I, it seems like this thing is far enough along in progress that we, if it's going to be a part of Halo Infinite, we need to start having something to say soon because... Otherwise, Warzone is just going to drown the fuck out of this game. And it's not like Halo Infinite is already in a particularly great state in terms of capturing people's um, time, mind share and, and just being there at the forefront of what gamers are wanting to play. So if we could just find a way to keep gradually being like, here's some more Halo Infinite stuff to get you excited. Here's some more Halo Infinite to get you excited. I think kind of filling those gaps between these uh, slow launches of seasons. And then once season three hits next March... Boom, now you're on easy street because now the stuff is starting to come. It's starting to trickle. Season 4 won't be too far after that. New maps, new modes, new guns, new balancing. Keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. That's exactly what we need. That and then the additional campaign stuff, which on that that front, I think we got we got time. That That's next summer we got to talk about that, right? Again, if it's a live service game, we're going to have to have that first campaign expansion talked about somewhat soon. So if you could talk about Tatanka at the Game Awards this year and then campaign dlc expansion stuff next year around e3 time or whatever event we're going to be at i think that would be ideally and then you can fill in the gaps between those announcements with season three season four winter update this kind of stuff so hopefully they've got a roadmap that they're trying to enact relatively soon with halo i think that would be the way to play it out to really make people start to think about halo again and, and take it seriously again salivate about this franchise like it deserves to be salivated over all right guys let's move on to our last big story of the week coming from vgc we got some sad news coming out of ea those motherfuckers they're always letting people off ea have decided to end the project car series there i said it Actually, they're not letting people off, which is a good part. We'll get into that in a minute. In a statement made to GamesIndustry.biz, the publisher confirmed that the series would come to an end, with Slightly Mad Studios staff being moved to other EA sports and racing games where possible. Slightly Mad was acquired by Codemasters in November of 2019 for $30 million. As part of a deal, Codemasters retained the rights to the Project Cars IP. Then in 2021, Codemasters was acquired by EA after giving EA the rights to all of the Codemasters' existing IP, including Project Cars. Quote, following the evaluation of the next Project Cars title and the long-term growth of potential, we have made the decision to stop further development of the installations of the franchise, EA said in a statement, continuing with, decisions like these are very hard, but allow us to prioritize our focus on areas where we believe we have the strongest opportunity to create experiences that fans will love. 
we are focusing our strengths in the racing portfolio, particularly licensed IP and open world experiences. And we're expanding our franchises to be more socially led with long-term live service that will engage global communities. Games are at the heart of sports racing entertainment with the shifting fan expectations. We recognize the need to evolve our games beyond pure play, providing experiences fans will also want to watch, create content with their friends, and so on. We are working with everyone impacted by the decision to take them in a suitable role across EA Sports as a racing portfolio, as well as parts of EA wherever we can. The original Project Cars was released in 2015 and was critically acclaimed for its attempt to create a realistic driving experience. In 2017, a sequel was released, which received similar praise with 140 track layout and 60 car locations, 60 locations and 189 cars to choose from. However, the third and final game, Project Cars 3, was met with far more tepid response when it released in 2020, with critics accusing the game of ditching its simulation roots in favor of a more challenging based arcade style. So I read this mostly just one way. You know, EA bought Codemasters in 2021, and they didn't want project cars that's just something that came with it and maybe they explored the avenues with that and saw hey what can we do with this but i think ultimately what it comes down to is ea wanted codemasters they wanted the guys behind dirt and etc etc because they want to kind of gobble up what's left of the racing game talent in the industry and we're seeing an industry consolidate like crazy and this arcade racing and sim racing and all this this market for racing games for premium racing games has mostly been gobbled up between you know the big players like Microsoft's Forza teams, you got Playground over in, in England, and you got Turn 10 over here in Seattle or in Washington. And so between those two teams, then Sony's got Gran Turismo over in Japan and all that. It's these are the, the core players in the racing series. Well, if you're EA, you you also own the rights to Need for Speed, which was no doubt at one point like the biggest racing franchise in gaming for, for a good while there. And so I think they really desperately want to kind of be a big player again. I think I think they want to have a game that goes toe-to-toe with a Forza Horizon, that goes toe-to-toe with a Gran Turismo kind of game. And and I know we got that new Need for Speed coming out in just a couple of weeks, and it looks pretty good. I actually am quite interested in playing it when it comes to EA Play. Um, but I, I just feel like there it's possible EA is looking at this and they're saying, we got Need for Speed, we got Burnout. These franchises have massive cachet. You know, I, I I don't know so much about Dirt. That's pretty popular. Project Cars, eh, you know, it's big with its niche audience, but it's not it's not like globally just a huge behemoth of a game. And so it's one of these things where they want to use their IP that's just even more popular, and they want to take this talent and put all these guys on projects that are going to be able to build them the next Forza killer app. You know, I think I think particularly they got their eyes set on Forza Horizon, if I had to guess, and they want they want to have something like that. They want to compete in that territory. And so now that they have the talent, now that they own the IP, now that they've sifted through and weighed their options, I think it's all about either really going gung ho and building some serious Need for Speed games that don't just sell well and move on and get forgotten, but kind of become water cooler games like the old older Need for Speed games were. Or to create all new IP to try and really go toe-to-toe with what Sony Microsoft are doing with their racing titles. But outside of that, I really don't see much of what else they're doing here just because the nature of it is, you know, they have the F1 games under Codemasters. They have Dirt. They have some simulation-esque things. But what they really want is that 
open world arcade racing game that is so popular. And I think Forza Horizon is really the key target that they're going after here. But that's just my pure speculation based on the acquisition and what motivation they would have to want to really employ all that. Um, but, you know, my regards to the team affected by this, hopefully no one lost their job. It seems like most people got redistributed, which does still suck. But, hey, employment's employment. Hopefully no one lost their job as a result of that. But, guys, that is actually it for our news this week. I, I know I can't believe how short the news is. But with that said, it's not completely over. The podcast, that is. We still have important enough news. These are stories important enough to make the podcast, but not quite important enough to warrant their own individual discussions. So we'll go through those before we get into the comments this week. A couple of quick ones. Actually, we got a decent list here, but we'll, we'll run through them because nothing too exciting. Overwatch 2 has top 35 million players in its first month, according to Activision Blizzard. That's kind of gross. Next up, VGC reports Microsoft is considering allowing players to reduce game performance in order to save energy. As reported by Windows Central, a survey on PC version of Xbox Insider app asked players about energy efficiency and includes a number of questions on how concerned players are able to use energy. A number of these questions refer to the possibility of letting games drop in performance in order to use less processing power, therefore saving energy. This is a great little PR move. It's a great initiative. I know Microsoft's really big on their whole... PR push for, look, we're making like a biorenewable computer mouse or surface devices and the Xbox can go in low power mode and blah, blah, blah. It's good PR. It's good for their energy rating, whatever things, you know, when you whatever. But ultimately, I don't see this being much more than like a PR stunt because, first of all, you think about the, the amount of money uh, your Xbox really costs you and your electric bill at the end of the year. It's really not a whole lot. You think about trying to use this and sacrifice your performance in order to save some money by reducing energy. I don't think it's really a whole lot for the consumer. I think this is really a lot more for Microsoft and the goodwill of their brand than it is for us as consumers. But nonetheless, cool to note anyway. It's always cool when we get new features and possibilities. Maybe someone will appreciate that. VGC next up says, UBC have confirmed the delay of Prince of Persia, the Sands of Time remake, but it's still in development. Publisher discussed the state of the game being in an update saying a lot of questions had been received from the community members, but that Prince of Persia The Sands of Time remake is not canceled. The game is currently in development at Ubisoft Montreal. At the moment, the game is being released. Uh, no release date has been set for the game, but they will provide new info when the time is ready, said Ubisoft. Given the game's launch window, Ubisoft has confirmed the existing pre-orders have been canceled and refunded for the game, and that pre-orders may open in the future when the new release date is announced. Remember, this game was removed from that Indian developer of Ubisoft that we've never really seen or heard from before. And then it was ripped from them and given to Montreal. So this game's kind of in a little bit of a hard reset mode right now. I can't remember the team of the, the name of the Ubisoft team in India, but they uh, they basically had this removed from them and given to the Canadians. God damn it. Next up, IGN Relay's publisher Take-Two Interactive have announced a milestone for GTA V which is that it sold 170 million units to life to date since September of 2013, while Red Dead Redemption 2 has hit the 70 million sales mark. That game came out in the fall of 2018. Massive fucking numbers. All right, here's some gross NFT info back to back. FIFA have announced that the first game that they're using in branding following the end of its longtime partnership with EA Games will allow a 3.0 blockchain title. Four games will be released to coincide with the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022, all of which are Web 3.0 titles to make use of the blockchain technology in some way. Also, VGC reports Square Enix have announced a new franchise built around NFTs. Symbiogenesis is described as the company by the company as the first digital collectible art project designed by a group of Web 3.3 fans. 
Oh, I'm so sorry. We're talking about NFTs. I'm, oh, my God. Oh, splash some cold water on my face. Fuck you, FIFA. Fuck you, Square Enix. No one cares about NFTs. All right, next up. And finally, VGC relays. Hollywood giant Lionsgate have revealed they're in discussions to greenlight a big AAA game based on the John Wick franchise. John Wick is a trilogy of officially of critically and commercially successful action movies starring Keanu Reeves as a retired assassin out for revenge. The fourth installment is set to release released in March. During a recent earnings call with investors transcribed by IndieWire, Lionsgate CEO John Feltheimer claims that the execs were looking to expand the series' movie's success with a larger video game project and claim that they've already begun fielding proposals. Quote, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but we believe that big AAA games are made out of John Wick. He said, we have fielding proposals, currently interested in moving forward. I don't know what to say. I'm, I don't know what to do with my hands. Why do I sound like Squidward? Cool. I wonder who would make this. I don't even know what developer. Let me think just publisher. John Wick. I feel like John Wick has to be European or American. And there's no way it's a Japanese developer or publisher. I wonder if one of the Embracer teams is up for it. Otherwise, I don't know. Like who would who would do a John Wick game? Dude, have have the God of War guys do it. They're about they're about to be done with God of War and they need a new project. Give them give them John Wick. I don't know who would be working on this. That's such a crazy maybe Avalanche, the guys that did ju uh, Just Cause. I don't know. That's going to do it for all of our news this week, you guys. I'm stumped on that one. But let's round out this week's podcast with the comments. The comments are back. It's like the old times again. The podcasts are shorter. The comments are plentiful. We are eating good in the neighborhood. This is Denny's, Applebee's, Chili's to go. And uh, guys, you know how it works. You go over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Xbox or it's youtube.com slash C slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode. Please subscribe while you're there. We're on our road to 1,000 subscribers. Hit subscribe while you're there. Click on the latest episode and leave a comment. You can say anything you want. It can be nice or mean. You can say something really kind like, Jesse, I just want to say you out here grinding, sacrificing time that could be spent playing Sonic so you can make this podcast for us. I appreciate the hard work as always. And also, uh, your penis is big. And I'll be like, whoa, nice comment. Thank you. Or you leave a total asshole comment. You can say, Jesse, you sit in that chair too long. You're going to get hemorrhoids. Do you want hemorrhoids? I don't think you do. Please click on the attachments to this comment uh, below to see pictures of what a hemorrhoid looks like. Uh, you are, in fact, the hemorrhoid of Xbox podcast. And I would say it's a little harsh, maybe not entirely unfounded, but thank you for writing it nonetheless. Unfortunately, no one called me a hemorrhoid this week, so we're just going to have to move on and make do with what we did get. But we do have a couple first-time commenters, which I want to say thank you to. First one being Sean Ferguson, who says, hey, Jesse, first-time commenting. The, um, first time commenting this understand your love for Taco Bell but I only eat it there when I'm drunk you gotta make your way out to San Diego to eat a Californian burrito or some carne asada fries they're mind blowing also I'm having fun with Modern Warfare 2 what's your take I try to listen to your podcast every week keep up the good work thank you Sean I appreciate the comment very kind of you uh, for writing in um, Taco Bell is good when you're sober I'm here to say but yes I understand it's good drunk food as well I understand it's how it's often utilized. Now, I do need to get out to San Diego. I, I'm, I'm aware of the legendary status of the California burritos, of, of the Tex-Mex, of the burritos, of the food of that nature out in the Southern California part of the world. Listen, I understand. New York's got the pizza. California's got the burritos. Florida, we got, we got racism. Just saying. 
but no, I, 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 you're absolutely right. I do need to, mm, I need a California food tour. Let me sit down and find a cruise that will take me over there, baby. I'll be right there. But uh, yeah, Modern Warfare 2, I mean, yeah, we talked about it extensively on the podcast the other week, but I, I, I'm really loving Modern Warfare 2. I think a lot of the criticisms of the game are pretty min- minimal. You know, it's just a lot of much to do about nothing, a lot of whining about minimal things that will mostly be fixed. You know, the campaign, I have some issues with the campaign. It seems a little sloppy, but it's fun as hell. It's really fun action. I like the characters a lot. The multiplayer is addicting as all hell. I love the new system for camo grinding the new meta around that um still don't like the new prestige the current prestige setup for call of duty but aside from that maps are great gunplay feels great i'm really enjoying the game a whole lot um and usually i'm more of a black ops guy than a modern warfare guy so i'm really pleased to see just how much this game's really clicking with me and it truly is maybe it's just because my guy is wearing a mountain dew costume when i run around the game or maybe it's because it's genuinely a great game but i like it a lot um so thank you for writing in sean other first time commenter good boy 1978 Says in news that Phil Spencer, or sorry, in the news, Phil Spencer said, We will keep Call of Duty on PlayStation as long as there's a console to ship it to. What happens the day that comes to everything is, what everything comes, sorry, what happens when the day comes? Everything is digital and just streamed from the cloud. Will he still share with PlayStation? Just a thought I had. Also, Burger King Ghost Pepper Whopper is great. Same goes for Arby's Diablo Chicken. I've not tried the roast beef one yet. Whoa, 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 slow down. It's a lot of sandwiches. I have not had a fast food yet. I do watch Review Bra on YouTube, and uh, I did not hear great things about the Ghost Pepper Whopper, or maybe I'm thinking of a different item. I could be mistaken, but on your recommendation, I'd like to try them out. I just so many calories, so little time. You know what I mean, man? But thank you for the food recommendations. Now, as for your comment on Call of Duty, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think the vision, you know, especially for Microsoft, is that one day we will move away from hardware and everything will be streaming. We're very far away from that. We're many, many years away from that. So I don't think we can really talk about that because it's just, it's such a a pie in the sky concept until we actually start to really see tangible progress in that direction, which we just haven't really seen any of it at all. Um, So yeah, do, do I think the idea is to maybe eventually get away from gaming hardware and everything's a service and maybe you put game pass on playstation somehow yeah i think that's the goal it's a good thought but i just don't think that's anything we have to contend with even the next like five to ten years really um so it's just it's hard for me to imagine because we're still just so far away from a time where there isn't a physical playstation or xbox console to buy but nonetheless thank you for writing in i appreciate the comment Next up, we hear back from Dead Captain James, the OG commenter. For those who have never listened to Xbox On before or relatively new, just know that Dead Captain James is the original commenter of Xbox On. He is therefore grandfathered in to always be the favorite child. So just know, no matter how good of a person you are, you will never be as beloved as Dead Captain James. He is the OG. You are just inferior. Deal with it. So Dead Captain James brings up Gotham Knights and says, I was drinking a Mountain Dew Voltage. You see why I love this guy? I was drinking a Mountain Dew Voltage while listening to this week's show. I've actually been enjoying Gotham Knights in co-op with my buddy. I don't understand all the hate around the game. It's not a masterpiece, but it's really fun and it's a well-made game. Dead Captain James, I believe you. I'm inclined to believe you because if there's one thing I know, it's that games, gaming media, gaming fans, gamers, Twitter, Reddit, people love, love, love to overreact about everything. Kind of like what I was saying about Sonic at the top of the show. Sonic has a 73 on Metacritic. For Sonic fan, that means like, oh, it's a 10 out of 10. For real, though, I mean that. You know, like, there are Sonic games where it's like, 
four out of ten. I'm like, okay, well, to me, it's an eight. <laughs> you know, what, what do you want me to say? It's obviously it's all subjective, but people love to over exaggerate. It's like Call of Duty right now. Right now, the new Call of Duty game is a pretty damn good Call of Duty game, but there was a crashing issue for the first couple of days on PC. You know, there's some issues with the um, barracks in the game. There's some issues with just a couple of things here and there. People like missing features, don't really like the weapon tuning. Weapon tuning got pulled for a little bit. Just a couple issues. And there is no shortage. You know, click on any Modern Warfare 2 video on YouTube and scroll down to the comics comments. There are no shortage of assholes in this world who are like, Modern Warfare 2 is a hot piece of garbage bullshit. This game is absolute dog shit. It's disgusting that Activision thinks they can get away with charging $70 for this absolute failure of a project. Infinity Ward are fucking terrible. They suck at their jobs. They should all be fired. It's like, whatever, dude. <laughs> this game's pretty damn good. Fuck you. You know, like, whatever. And so when you look at a, a game like Gotham Knights, I understand there's a lot of criticism about, like, the game's not artistically as pretty as Batman Arkham Knights, which came out, you know, in 2015. There's arguments about, like, you can tell there's a lot of DNA about, like, a live service type, like, Marvel's Avengers game in here, and then it looks like they abandoned it, and a lot of those remnants are just stuck in the game, and it feels kind of awkward. Okay. But there's no denying when you look at the game, it's like, this looks like a competently made open-world superhero action game where if you like highly polished, pretty decently put-together triple-A superhero games, I find it hard to believe you're going to play this game and say, oh, that game sucked. You know, you might be like, that game was good, but I've played better Batman games. You might be like, that game was good, but I liked Spider-Man on PlayStation better. You know, you might you might come away with feelings like that, but I can't imagine looking at a game like Gotham Knights you play and you're like, well, this game is absolute dog shit and everyone who made it should be fired and they should have their fucking loved ones hunted down and doxxed on Twitter because I am mad. I'm mad about 30 FPS instead of 60 FPS. I get it. People are very exaggeratory in this space. It's insanely so. And we're all guilty of doing it some, sometimes. There's no doubt I, I, I've, I've done it as well. But I'm inclined to believe you. I, 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 it, you know, it's kind of like what I said when we were talking about the Gotham Knights 30 versus 60 FPS thing. A lot of us more hardcore gamers are going to be really upset about this. But the majority of people who play this game are going to be like Batman fans. And they're just going to be like, cool, new Batman game. That's awesome. That's dope, bro. And they're going to pick it up and they're going to play it. And they're going to say, hey, that new Batman game was pretty fucking cool. Because you get to play around as Batman characters beating the shit out of bats. Because I think that's what Batman does. And I just can't imagine, you know, unless you handed this game to like, like a bunch of fucking college students and said, make it happen. You know, you, you got a pretty competent team here. They're going to make a pretty competent game. Whether it's mind-blowing next-gen shit, I don't know. But I'm sure it's competent. Glad to see you're having a good time with the game. Dead Captain James, continue to keep up the fight. For the little man, the little the little multi-million dollar indie games like Batman. Guys, let's do a pizza follow-up. Mojo writes in and says, you know, last week we talked about pizza. Now, Mojo says, now I wish I could try a gator pizza. Lol, have you actually had gator pie? If so, do tell. Let me stop right there. Mojo, the only time I've ever eaten alligator in my life is like the gator nuggets. They're like little, basically like chicken bites or like chicken, you know, it's like an appetizer, like a fucking New Orleans style restaurant. It'll be like. It's, it's like conch fritters or something like that, or like fried scallops or, or chicken nuggets. You just pick them up, you dip them in some like like remoulade sauce, and they're good. Tastes like chicken. Um, it's the only time I've ever had gator. I, I don't know if gator pie is a thing. I certainly hope not. And gator pizza makes me want to cry. 
But continuing on, you say, as a native New Englander, your Northeast accent, your Northeast accent is pretty decent there, bro. There's a little pizza place. If you, well, thank you. Yeah, my family's all from Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York. So I also live in Florida where everyone here is from New Jersey. So I also like to think I'm pretty good at making fun of everyone there. Anyway, there's a little pizza place a few towns away from me called Harry Pizza. Not Harry's Pizza, but Harry Pizza. It's only been open a few months, and I've never been there, and I've never seen anybody there. But every time I drive by it, I, I laugh and picture in my head Mario or Luigi-looking kind of guy behind the counter with an Italian accent, his arms up in the air saying, Nobody like him a Harry Pizza. <laughs> anyway, that's my story. Carry on, please. Mojo, now you've, you've put yourself in a position where you have to have Harry Pizza because we all need to know about Harry Pizza. Is it likely they're going to put hair in this pizza? Probably not. But they call it Harry Pizza, and I need to know more about this. So, Mojo, what is it going to take for you to try Harry's Pizza or Harry Pizza so you can write back, let us know all about it? What was the experience like there? What's the staff like? What's the food look like? How does it taste? Tell us all about Harry Pizza. If it's a money thing, I'll Venmo you. If it's like a, if it's like a health thing, all you got to do is buy the pizza, take some photos of it, and pay a kid to taste it and tell you about it. What's it going to take, Mojo? Because now I got to know. All about Harry Pizza. Thank you. Next up, Cronky writes in and says uh, a couple things about the support situation going on in AAA games development. Where he says, Fable getting a support uh, support assistance from IDOS is the only kind of a weird thing. AAA games getting support from other teams happens all the time. Look at COD and Halo. I suspect Square was loaning out teams for support work instead of greenlighting new projects since they wanted to sell them. Did they say that's code developed by IDOS or a support team? Well, that's the thing is now we know that in the case of Crystal Dynamics with Perfect Dark, it is code developed. With the case of IDOS and Fable, we don't know if that's the support thing because it hasn't been officially announced yet. So we don't know what that nature is like. But can you imagine IDOS being a co-developer on Fable with Playground? That is such a insane, insane, insane mashup of developers to IP. That makes no sense, dude. That's like, let me just try color something off the cuff. We have Dice, the developer of Battlefield. Dice, the developer of Battlefield, and Blizzard, the creators of Diablo. Okay? Okay? You follow me? And they're making a sequel to Ubisoft's underappreciated Starlink Battle for Atlas. I'm sure none of you remember what the fuck that game is. Shout out to 2018. Actually, Sonic Frontiers reminds me a little bit of that game. I forgot to get into that, but whatever. I don't know. It's kind of crazy, but... Um, yeah, I don't even know what we're saying. Let's move on with life. Uh, let's. We got two more comments to round out the show with. First one comes from Mr. Way of the Dolphin Butthole, Way of the Lao, however you say it. It's all up to you how you want to pronounce it. Yo, yo, yo. Sorry I haven't commented in a while, but now I got a Fridays and Saturdays off. So I guess what my first thing I'm going to do is Thursday morning, I'm going to freaking comment on this podcast. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to tell you what you should be named. You should be named Seamus. What? Just kidding, man. You're awesome. I love the podcast. It's great. I think the dynamic duo of Kronky and Jesse is great. I know it really doesn't have anything to do with the podcast, mostly because you guys spoke about the, uh, about, you spoke about it on the last one, but I really think the reason that Gotham Knights is so bad is because the gameplay sucks ass. If they had taken care of this and made it a lot better, I think people would like would like it. 
well, guys. I hope you're all doing well, and I'll see you on the stream next time. Maybe Jesse will finally play something besides Call of Duty or Halo. Yes, I'll play Sonic. Not that the games are bad. They are great games, but every once in a while, you need to spice up your life. Playing games is kind of like being married. You got to spice it up sometimes. Jesse, just kidding. I've never been married. I wouldn't know anything about it. Well, anyways, guess everyone take care. Stay safe. Best wishes. Way of the Lao. We were just trying to talk good about Batman Gotham Knights, and now you're out here talking smack. So you and Dead Captain James have to dish us out. You know how it works. You and Dead Captain James, you meet at Harry Pizza, and you got to do a wrestling match. Loser has to you, loser has to eat a pizza with the other guy's chest hair on it. It's just the way it works. I don't make up the rules. This is how it's always been done. It's probably how it always will be done until someone comes along and changes our way of life. Thank you, sir, for writing in. Also, next week I'll stream Sonic. How do you like that? Headhunting Halo writes in with the next comment. It says, last comment, always rounding out with Headhunting Halo. It says, whoop, 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 Sonic Day. Sadly, I picked up God of War instead. Please forgive me. I don't forgive you. Uh, by the way, I told you that Modern Warfare 2 would sell faster than any other COD. One billion dollars in ten days must be nice. I'm at a point where I'm going to put my wife on. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Must be nice. I'm to the point where I'm going to put my wife on feet book and sell pics of her feet without knowing. Apparently, that's where the money is at. Also, have you seen a price of eggnog? $7.69. What the fuck? Bend me over now and call me Charlie. But I have, I'm having fun on Modern Warfare 2. Got full go four gold camos. So far, just need more maps. The winter update for Halo is really good, too. If you play it soon, get Social Slayer wacky fun games. Glad to see it slowly turning into an actual Halo game. Headhunting Halo, that is actually probably the most concise and readable comment I've ever gotten from you. And I don't mean that as an insult. I just, I feel like I picked up on everything you mentioned there. First of all, Sonic over God of War, although God of War is great. Second of all, Call of Duty doing real good, and you're doing real good in Call of Duty. Wow, four gold camels already. I only have one. You make me jealous. You make me feel small, okay, Headhunting Halo? Also, $7.69 for eggnog. There's no fucking way I don't believe you. Or what's that? What is it called? T.E. Lee or whatever? What's the generic cheaper brand that you find at most grocery stores? T.G. Lee? T.E. Lee? What? What is it? Because there's no goddamn chance in hell they're charging you nearly $8 for what? Like a, ha a half gallon of eggnog? Are you kidding me? And where the hell are you finding eggnog? It's, no it's barely November, bro. We got turkeys to kill. Stop thinking about fat man jumping down your chimney so fast, okay, man? Take a deep breath. Go to GameStop. Sell your copy of God of War Ragnarok. Pick up Sonic Frontiers. Pick up a case of Mountain Dew on your way home. And chill the fuck out, bro. It's going to be okay. And thank you for writing in. And thank you to everyone for writing in. And thank you for everyone to li for listening. Because with that said, we are done with Xbox On Podcast this week. Yes, I know. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? An hour and 40 minutes or something like that for Xbox On? Unheard of. Well, things are changing. Times are changing. We got a hurricane coming here tomorrow. It's November. What the fuck is that all about? Speaking of November, guys, we're still in the thick of game release week, month, whatever. A couple games I want to mention that are coming out in the coming days. Next week when we meet, Pentiment by Obsidian will be out November 15th. Also, Somerville by Jumpship, the ex-Play Dead guys, will be out November 15th. Both of those Game Pass titles. And then the week after that, we'll be getting Evil West on Xbox. I cannot wait for that game, November 22nd. So, guys, still tons of great games to come. Warhammer 40K later in the month. Callisto Protocol next month. High on Life. Crisis Core. Marvel's Midnight Suns. 
Boy, we is eating good on the Xbox, baby. But thank you for writing in. Thank you for all listening. You guys, I hope you take care. I'm not joking about Sonic. I know it's like kind of a meme that I love Sonic so much and I'm almost 30 years old. But listen, I love Sonic. and I'm not afraid to admit this game is damn good. So have a great weekend. Stay safe out there. Play some Xbox. Spend some time with your loved ones. Eat a good meal. But most importantly, don't even fucking worry about powering your dreams. Instead, and for this week only, gotta go fast.